Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Matt Bonaparte and Ian Unsworth on Fizz Radio with you. We've got a chock-full show, Bayheim's Army recap. We've got SU football fall camp upcoming, five-star review, fictional Fizz, Fizz feedback. You've got it all right here on Orange Fizz Radio, the score 1260. Ian, let's hop right into Bayheim's Army. They just won their first TBT title. How exciting for SU fans, the players, the Bayheim's Army front office, Kevin Belby, all that. Jim Bayheim was there uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Ohio. He had his arms raised up, a huge smile on his face. You love to see that uh, from the old stereotypical curmudgeon. Um, what what did you take away from that game in terms of... Well, here's the one thing. Kiefer Sykes, by the way, hit the game winner, turned around, and signed an NBA contract. How insane is that? The dude just signed with the Pacers. It was Shams tweeted it almost right after uh, the shot was hit, which was pretty crazy. Um, but what were your takeaways from the game? Well, that... NBA contract thing was absolutely ridiculous. It shows you how much TBT actually means to the basketball world. It's not just some random tournament that takes place in the Midwest and then kind of disappears. Like That matters to NBA scouts, front office execs. They are paying attention. And Matt, I got to say, Chris McCullough could be next up because he had a heck of a tournament. But besides the fact that the whole basketball world took notice of what was going on in TBT. I think the fact that Syracuse fans really stood behind Bayheim's army through and through after struggle after struggle after struggle in years past, that everybody kept returning, kept giving Adam Weissman and Kevin Belby and the front office plenty of support was an absolute joy to see. And Chris McCullough is the name that... I think a lot of people were expecting to be that guy who got the NBA contract because that's what he's been saying. He wants another shot at the NBA. He thinks he's good enough to play there, and quite frankly, I do too. Uh, he had a couple games where it was basically him single-handedly, along with Tyrese Rice, won them uh, that game and, and kept them going in the tournament. He, he showed off skills. He could score at all three levels on the off, on offense and provided great defense at times, some really clutch blocks. Um I think maybe he has to get a little bit bigger. Uh, he's a little bit thin. But other than that, I think he's he's definitely an NBA talent. Um, but, you know, the big storyline of this TBT summer was that Bayheim's Army added four non-SU players. Now, of course, non-SU players have played for the team before. Uh, last year, notably, you had Will Raymond fill in. Um, but four was a lot, and, and, and it was... Enough to where some of the SU fan base was starting to say, is this Bayheim's Army or is this Overseas Elite featuring Bayheim's Army? Which is a fair question because this tournament, of course, is for a million dollars. And, and this year, Bayheim's Army decided they really wanted to win that. But also, it's a tournament where a lot of fans tune in just because they want to see, you know, Brandon Trish or CJ Fair uh, or any of those guys play. Pascal Chuku, Malachi <laughs> Richardson, Tyler Lydon, the list goes on. Um so that is a fair question. Like, what are you doing here? But Belby, in an interview I did with him uh, last month, said, we're winning this thing. Uh, we don't really care about all that. And to be fair, it is a mainly SU roster. The grand majority of the roster was Syracuse players. But that being said, 
it was those non-SU guys who were usually on the floor. You the, the usual lineup you had was some mixture of Tyrese Rice, DeAndre Kane, DJ Kennedy, um, Chris McCullough, and then an alternate alternating either C.J. Fair or Malachi Richardson. So you did usually have three non-SU players on the court at all times, but that's just saying that they're the better players. It's just as easy as that. I mean, you had DJ Kennedy, who's arguably the best player in this tournament's history. DeAndre Kane, who has been very, very good in the past for overseas elite and was arguably the best defensive presence Bayheim's Army had. And then you had Tyrese Rice, who was scoring points left and right, winning you games single-handedly. And then, of course, Kiefer Sykes, who won the last game. So I don't really, I don't see where you can have much of a gripe. But what do you think? At the end of the day, we're going to look back on this TBT and all we're going to remember is that Bayheim's Army won. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Winning cures everything. And Jim Bayheim himself gave these guys the stamp of approval, saying they are part of the Syracuse family because they donned that orange, that white jersey, and they, they locked armed with band of Syracuse guys and led us to a championship. I mean, that's Absolutely. the long and short of it. There's, there's no other way to put it. When I think that's that's the that's the you know the factor that brings it all together for me. Bayheim stamped them number one and number two. The team won. If say mm-hmm. if Kiefer Sykes misses that shot, then there's you know people people could complain. People could say, oh Malachi Richardson, he's a big shot maker for Syracuse. He should have taken that shot, but Sykes made it. Man. He made yeah. that shot and he made it look convincing. So there, mm-hmm. there is no way that anybody can gripe about this. Now, does it continue in, in the coming years? Maybe not. Maybe Belby next year tries to get a bit more you know, down and you know, down home with guys from the 3-1-5 after the victory. I could see it. And maybe Tyrese Rice and Kiefer Sykes take a year off. Or Kiefer Sykes, for all we know, could be playing in a league still next year. So you never really know what the future holds for these guys, but... I think right now, everybody should be okay with the four guys that stepped up and joined Bayheim's Army, because they all did a heck of a job. Yeah, that's a great point about how winning cures it. Uh, and, and you mentioned Bayheim did give a stamp of approval. He said, you played for us, now you're one of us. Um, so that's great to hear from the Syracuse fan base. Here's what I want, though. Going into this tournament, there are plenty of questions uh, and a lot of question marks on potential. Who's going to play well and who's not going to play well. We've seen some of these superstar SU guys come into this tournament and not do well at all. I want your biggest surprise positively and biggest disappointment negatively. Whew. Okay. So I have to say in terms of just players that I wasn't exactly pleased with, and it was Malachi Richardson. He gave us some great ups, but he also just had his moments. And I think that's what happens when you leave school early. I hate to say it, Bones, but do you remember way back last summer when we did the Fizz Top 100? I do. And that Malachi Richardson snuck in there, and I had to write the recap article for him. And I, I just I sat there thinking about how many times Malachi Richardson could have improved at Syracuse could have taken that next step in a sophomore year and I hate to say it he's gone into professional basketball and he looks the exact same as he did when Syracuse made that run to the Elite Eight I there are there are times when I I just shake my head 
I shake yeah. my head, and Malachi Richardson is the reason. And after that Final Four run back in 2016, there was a lot of controversy over his decision to leave Syracuse and be a one-and-done. Uh, I don't think a lot of people agreed with it, but his thought was, I gotta go get money. Um, and I don't think a lot of people can really dispute that. I mean, some people have different situations than others, but uh, I, I agree. He could have been a lot better if he stayed at school for a, a year or maybe two more years. Uh, but ultimately, he made that decision, and uh, he, he led to, to a performance like this in the TBT where, I agree, he was probably the most disappointing player to me, that or Andrew White, who kind of showed up in the, in the tournament in the, the final game, but really wasn't otherwise. Malachi did hit that clutch shot uh, against, I believe, Golden Eagles to put them up, uh, that insane three. He had a couple of clutch threes, but for the most part, there was a, uh, a couple game uh, stretch where... He didn't hit a single shot. It was ridiculous. Um, I got his stats for you, Bones. He shot 25% from the field on almost seven shots, and then 27% from three. And uh, honestly, this is the worst. He shot 55% from the free throw line. Yeah. And he only took a free throw and a half per game. Yeah, that's brutal. Something something about that just tells me that you're checked out mentally at times. Mm -hmm. I, I, I could see that. Uh, so Malachi, not the uh, we kind of agree the biggest disappointment for me. It's that or Andrew White. Um, I would have liked to see some more from CJ, but uh, they didn't really let him play in the last game, yeah, and he, he, he did he did what, minutes. and he was good when he was out there. Um, so I don't really know what was going on there. But give me your biggest surprise. Who who surprised you and was really a lot better than you thought they were going to be? Well, I had low expectations. I'm not going to lie for the. For the non Bayheim's Army guys coming in, because I I'm I'm not a big TBT guy. I tune in now and then, but I didn't exactly know what to expect. But DeAndre Kane for me was the glue that held this team together with just his defensive intensity. And yes, they played man to man. That was another thing that jumped yeah. off the screen to me. These guys are playing man to man, and DeAndre Kane is giving it his all, locking up. His defense was crazy. Yeah, like I think. Syracuse needs a ball stopper at times like that. And, yes, I'm not saying they should go away from the zone and really, you know, once we get back to NCAA competition, but just having someone like that, and I hate to say it, Bones, but Kadari Richmond could have, you know, progressed oh, somewhere the like wound. there. Saw the wound. Uh, yeah. But if, if, if the Orange have a ball stopper like that in a couple of years, someone that can just stand at the top of the zone and thwart guards, like, that's going to make them so much better in the coming years. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, and they've had that guy before. Brandon Trish was that guy. Michael Carter-Williams was that guy. Uh, but recently, Kadari Richmond could have been that guy, like you mentioned. Uh, but for me, I think it was Chris McCullough. I didn't really know what to expect from Chris McCullough because he was supposed to play for the team last year. He didn't play for the team last year. Uh, so there was still a huge question mark on how good he'd really be in this tournament. We'd seen some training videos where he looked really good. But he came out and proved that he is that guy. So I don't, I don't buy training videos anymore. You don't buy training videos. I'm, I'm a no, Sixers okay. fan, and uh, Ben <laughs> Simmons has fooled me one too many times. Yes. Okay. I, that that that's understandable. Um, so then you get my you get how tentative I was to to see how good Chris McCullough really was, and he came out and proved it. He had a, a double double. He had near twenty point games several times. He was really really good for this team, and I, and a player I think they couldn't have won it without. Obviously, Tyrese Rice is up there for me as well because just of the non-SU guys, I really didn't know what to expect. 
Same. I had high hopes for Kiefer Sykes, and he, he really fulfilled him towards the end, but Tyrese Rice jumped off the page almost immediately. His dribble moves, his clutchness, his shooting, his finishing, he was just really, really good, uh, and he's a tournament MVP for a reason. I think one more thing we just have to close the book on with McCullough. He was third in the tournament in points and tied for the lead in the tournament with total rebounds. Rebounding. Wow. The, Sy- the Syracuse kryptonite. And Chris McCullough, yeah. of all people, comes in and provides a big boost. Gotta love that from the former SU big man. On the other side of the break, we'll be talking SU football. What should be? What should you be looking out for come fall camp? Stay locked on the score 1260. Matt Bonaparte and Ian Unsworth back with you on Orange Fizz Radio. Ian, the football season is drumming up shortly. Football camp starts this week, preseason camp, and a conversation that has been looming all year long regarding this team is at the quarterback position. I think that it's something that everybody's talked about a little bit, but something that we're going to talk about a lot today. The quarterback position has a battle going on. It is Tommy DeVito versus the transfer Garrett Schrader. Schrader transferred in from Mississippi State this past offseason and wants to play quarterback for Syracuse University. What are your thoughts on DeVito v. Schrader? I think we need to see some new blood, first and foremost, in the quarterback spot. And Garrett Schrader is not some guy that comes in with no accolades. Yes, he played receiver last year, and people aren't very happy about that in Syracuse. But in 2019, Schrader was one of three quarterbacks who were freshmen to throw for over 1,000 passing yards and then rush for over 500 yards. He, he's legit. He's, he's, not, he's not a bum. He's not some random guy that Dino Babers got off the street. He's not a freshman that comes in extremely green with no experience. This is a guy that's played high-level football. And so, when when it all comes down to the nuts and bolts, we're, we're looking at Trader with all of his potential. The ceiling is there. And then we're looking at DeVito. And we haven't gotten much out of Tommy DeVito over the last two, two and a half years. So what what is Dino Babers going to do? Is he going to go with the with the stale old chips? Or is he going to go with the brand new bag you just got from the store? Absolutely. That is the question. Uh, and about him playing receiver at, at Mississippi State, he had a fir- his first season at quarterback was great. Mike Leach decided to move him to receiver after K.J. Costello transferred in. He went out and got K.J. Costello. Uh, to play in an air raid offense where you have to have a really high IQ to make any kind of offense. So Schrader moves to wide receiver, but it's not because he didn't have talent. It's because they brought another guy in to do the job. Um, He's coming to Syracuse to play quarterback. He's not coming to do anything else, and he wants that starting job, and he's made that clear. So I think that Syracuse fans who are skeptical need to put down um, that skepticism and just give the kid a shot if he does get that job. Here's the thing about Tommy DeVito. He's just not very good, and we've known that for a long time now. I mean, 2019, he was the most sacked quarterback in college football, and I bet you he would have been as well if he didn't get hurt at the end of the Duke game and was out for the majority of the year. In 2019, which is the only really full season we've gotten from him, he showed that he is, one, 
unable or just he just can't find a receiver downfield. He's got a great arm, and we all know that he's got the potential to have one of the best arms there is. But the guy can't find a receiver to save his life, and he has no pocket presence what at all whatsoever. And you can blame a lot of his sacks on the offensive line, but you also have to blame him because he has no awareness. There could be pressure coming from every side, and he'd still just sit there and stand there and try and find a read. And then he gets slammed over and over again, and he can't keep doing that. At a certain point, you have to wonder, can DeVito stay healthy because of how many hits he takes in the pocket? And then what is Dito Babers going to stand for? Because this season, I would say, is definitely a tipping point for Babers and his reputation at Syracuse. You had you had your greatness, your 10-win season, and you've gone on a steep decline ever since. And th- this is this is your chance to make an impact on this program, really leave your foot in the dirt by picking a quarterback and picking the direction of this team. Is it DeVito? Is somebody we've seen fail over and over again? Or is it Schrader, maybe even someone else, who gives the Orange the best chance for success? And at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's Garrett Schrader. John Eads' orange simulations, or uh, I can, I'm not exactly sure what they're called, but our, our colleague Syracuse, has been... Simulation Syracuse, baby. Simulation Syracuse, yes. He's been simulating the games uh, on NCAA 14, and I believe we've had about five quarterback changes already between DeVito and Schrader. So that does not spell well. <laughs> um, and here's the other thing. Uh, when Eads and I were down in Charlotte for ACC kickoff, uh, Babers was talking about how, you know, in that season where they did win those 10 games, there was one constant, and that was that the guy who played quarterback to start week one played it in the Camping World Bowl. There was no nobody started in between. Uh, DeVito came in for a couple of games to, uh, to win them, but um, Dunsey started every game, so... And I, I think he wants to replicate that. So I think the guy who starts week one, he's going to do everything he can to make sure he starts every single game. Um, I don't have that for definite, but that's kind of what I assume. Uh, but let's talk about the guys DeVito is throwing to now. You've got Taj Harris at the top of that group, who we know is very talented, but has some character issues. And Ian, I understand that you have some opinions on those. Well, I'm not thrilled. First and foremost, that Taj Harris is the leading receiver this season for Syracuse. First and foremost, Bones, he played at 6'2", 168 last year. Wow. He weighed 168 pounds. And he was taking hit after hit after hit. Yes. I, I, I just don't like the optics of that. Second of all, the bird incident. Yes, it's the fourth quarter of a football game. Syracuse is losing. What else is new? And Taj Harris finds the camera that's pointed at the Syracuse sideline and uh, just flips up the old middle next while sitting next to Tommy DeVito, of all people. Yeah. That's and a tough one. there's that. There's the other character issues that kept him out of the Clemson game. And yes, Dino said they handled them in-house and he loves Taj like a son, whatever. You, got, you expect a coach to say that about one of his best players, but... Taj Harris is going to get the ball, especially in this year where potentially the second best wideout on a Syracuse squad could be an incoming freshman as of right now. Like, Taj Harris is going to get the ball. He has no reason to complain. 
He was all ACC last year. He has no reason to complain. Yes, the team is going to go through its ups and downs, but you're, you're a leader this year. You have to be bigger than that. You have to suck it up when the going gets tough and bring the guys with you instead of being a martyr and sitting on the sidelines by yourself. And Bones, you were at ACC Media Day. I know Taj Harris put on a smile and you know acted like everything was cool, but he's got he's got to have that same energy once it translates to September's and October's and probably the November's where we might see some tough results for the Orange. Absolutely, and and if you're looking at this group top to bottom, the top three names are Taj Harris, Courtney Jackson, and Anthony Queeley. Uh, you no longer have Nikeem Johnson to kind of rely on at certain points, and there are huge question marks next to Queeley and Jackson. You're going to need a huge step up from Anthony Queeley. Like, he's going to have to be a reliable receiver if this team's going to have any kind of aerial offense because they don't have tight ends, and if they did, they wouldn't use them. So you've got to have a huge a huge year from Queeley, uh, and Courtney Jackson has to turn into some kind of receiver. I don't think we've seen anything out of him. So he's going to be a guy that you really need something out of all of a sudden, and I don't know if he's ready for that step. That's that's why I said the incoming freshmen, Aronde Gadsden, Umari Hatcher, guys that look pretty darn good on film. I mean, I'm just saying, Sherrod Johnson has about has I would say butter for hands, <laughs> like he he has legit butter fingers. So I I, I gotta I gotta go to with the youth here. Yeah. I I like what I saw for these two tall guys on tape and throw them on the outer on the outer side of the field and. You know, why not? See what they can do. And on the other side of the ball, you've got this defensive back group that is very talented, as we saw last year. you got guys like Jihad Carter. You've got Garrett Williams, Rob Hanna. A lot of the talent there that is very young. Um, but I think that they might take a step back as a group just because you don't have Ify Melifonwu to throw at the top receiver on any given team. You know, So Garrett Williams is going to have to take on the Justin Rosses of the world, the, the Jakari Robersons. Uh, so I don't know if this team's going to be able to, to to replicate the kind of success they did in 2020 just because you don't really have that guy that you know is going to handle whoever uh, whenever you need it. Well, you, you have need... Deuce Chestnut coming in too. He's very talented as per Taj Harris. That's also true. But I think you need a couple of ball hawks to really emerge. And I think Carter has that potential Hannah, I'm, I'm not so sure because he, he was like free safety center fielder last year. And honestly, the most I remember about Rob Hannah was him getting burned on a couple of run plays in those Liberty and Duke games. Yes, first action for a freshman. Tough situation to step into, but still, you, you got to gotta choose your angles. But if Carter and Hannah step up, then yes, I think the secondary can really improve. And I'm, I'm sold on Garrett Williams as a top 10 corner in the ACC. Wow. I don't think the national pundits are, but I think he's that good. I don't think if you is, have a great but... freshman season, you're that good in the ACC. I don't know. I don't know about really? that. Really? Yeah, because here's the thing. For at least half of that year, because Ify was the only one of, the, of Cisco, Ify, and Trill to finish the year. Um, but yes. for, for some time, you were throwing Trill Williams and Ify Malafonwood number one and two. And we saw Garrett Williams do great things against number three. 
and then at some point he was doing him against number two. But when he moves Zap to that number one spot, I just don't know if he's going to be able to put up the same kind of numbers. I mean, he led the ACC in passes defended last season, Bones. I like, think he's a very I, talented player. I don't, I think don't get me got wrong. It. I, I think, think he's, he's very it. good. But I don't know if he's going to... I think that there is potential for him to take some kind of step back. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see. We're, we're going to have to uh, take a short break. We'll be talking five-star review on the other side. Stay with us on the score 1260. Matt Bonaparte and Ian Unsworth back with you on Orange Fizz Radio. Ian, the football season is drumming up shortly. Football camp starts this week, preseason camp, and a conversation that has been looming all year long regarding this team is at the quarterback position. I think that it's something that everybody's talked about a little bit, but something that we're going to talk about a lot today. The quarterback position has a battle going on. It is Tommy DeVito versus the transfer Garrett Schrader. Schrader transferred in from Mississippi State this past offseason and wants to play quarterback for Syracuse University. What are your thoughts on DeVito v. Schrader? I think we need to see some new blood, first and foremost, in the quarterback spot. And Garrett Schrader is not some guy that comes in with no accolades. Yes, he played receiver last year, and people aren't very happy about that in Syracuse. But in 2019, Schrader was one of three quarterbacks who were freshmen to throw for over 1,000 passing yards and then rush for over 500 yards. He, he's legit. He's, he's, not, he's not a bum. He's not some random guy that Dino Babers got off the street. He's not a freshman that comes in extremely green with no experience. This is a guy that's played high-level football. And so, when when it all comes down to the nuts and bolts, we're, we're looking at Trader with all of his potential. The ceiling is there. And then we're looking at DeVito. And we haven't gotten much out of Tommy DeVito over the last two, two and a half years. So what what is Dino Babers going to do? Is he going to go with the with the stale old chips? Or is he going to go with the brand new bag you just got from the store? Absolutely. That is the question. Uh, and about him playing receiver at, at Mississippi State, he had a fir- his first season at quarterback was great. Mike Leach decided to move him to receiver after K.J. Costello transferred in. He went out and got K.J. Costello. Uh, to play in an air raid offense where you have to have a really high IQ to make any kind of offense. So Schrader moves to wide receiver, but it's not because he didn't have talent. It's because they brought another guy in to do the job. Um, He's coming to Syracuse to play quarterback. He's not coming to do anything else, and he wants that starting job, and he's made that clear. So I think that Syracuse fans who are skeptical need to put down um, that skepticism and just give the kid a shot if he does get that job. Here's the thing about Tommy DeVito. He's just not very good, and we've known that for a long time now. I mean, 2019, he was the most sacked quarterback in college football, and I bet you he would have been as well if he didn't get hurt at the end of the Duke game and was out for the majority of the year. In 2019, which is the only really full season we've gotten from him, he showed that he is, one, unable, or just he just can't find a receiver downfield. He's got a great arm, and we all know that he's got the potential to have one of the best arms there is. But the guy can't find a receiver to save his life, and he has no pocket presence at all whatsoever. And you can blame a lot of his sacks on the offensive line, 
but you also have to blame him because he has no awareness. There could be pressure coming from every side and he'd still just sit there and stand there and try and find a read. And then he gets slammed over and over again and he can't keep doing that. At a certain point, you have to wonder, can DeVito stay healthy because of how many hits he takes in the pocket? And then what is Dito Babers going to stand for? Because this season, I would say, is definitely a tipping point for Babers and his reputation at Syracuse. You had you had your greatness, your 10-win season, and you've gone on a steep decline ever since. And this is, this is your chance to make an impact on this program, really leave your foot in the dirt by picking a quarterback and picking the direction of this team. Is it DeVito? Is somebody we've seen fail over and over again? Or is it Schrader, maybe even someone else, who gives the Orange the best chance for success? And at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's Garrett Schrader. John Eads' is Orange Simulations, or uh, I'm not exactly sure what they're called, but our, our colleague Syracuse, has been... Simulation Syracuse, baby. Simulation Syracuse, yes. He's been simulating the games... Uh, on NCAA 14, and I believe we've had about five quarterback changes already between DeVito and Schrader, so that does not spell well. <laughs> um, and here's the other thing. Uh, when Eads and I were down in Charlotte for ACC kickoff, uh, Babers was talking about how, you know, in that season where they did win those 10 games, there was one constant, and that was that the guy who played quarterback to start week one played it in the Camping World Bowl. There was no nobody started in between. Uh, DeVito came in for a couple of games to uh, to win them, but um, Dunsey started every game. So, and I, I think he wants to replicate that. So I think the guy who starts Week One, he's gonna do everything he can to make sure he starts every single game. Um, I don't have that for definite, but that's kind of what I assume. Uh, but let's talk about the guys DeVito is throwing to now. You've got Taj Harris at the top of that group who we know is very talented, but has some character issues, and Ian, I understand that you have some opinions on those. Well, I'm not thrilled, first and foremost, that Taj Harris is the leading receiver this season for Syracuse. First and foremost, Bones, he played at 6'2", 168 last year. Wow. He weighed 168 pounds, and he was taking hit after hit after hit. Yes, I, I, I just don't like the optics of that. Second of all, the bird incident. Yes, it's the fourth quarter of a football game. Syracuse is losing. What else is new? And Taj Harris finds the camera that's pointed at the Syracuse sideline and uh, just flips up the old middle next while sitting next to Tommy DeVito, of all people. Yeah. That's and a tough one. there's that. There's the other character issues that kept him out of the Clemson game. And yes, Dino said they handled them in-house, and he loves Taj like a son, whatever. You got you expect a coach to say that about one of his best players. But Taj Harris is going to get the ball, especially in this year where potentially the second-best wideout on a Syracuse squad could be an incoming freshman as of right now. Like, Taj Harris is going to get the ball. He has no reason to complain. He was all ACC last year. He has no reason to complain. Yes, the team is going to go through its ups and downs, but you're you're a leader this year. You have to be bigger than that. You have to suck it up when the going gets tough and bring the guys with you. 
instead of being a martyr and sitting on the sidelines by yourself. And Bones, you were at ACC Media Day. I know Taj Harris put on a smile and you know acted like everything was cool, but he's got to he's got to have that same energy once it translates to September's and October's and probably the November's where we might see some tough results for the Orange. Absolutely, and and if you're looking at this group top to bottom, the top three names are Taj Harris, Courtney Jackson, and Anthony Queeley. Uh, you no longer have Nikeem Johnson to kind of rely on at certain points, and there are huge question marks next to Queeley and Jackson. You're going to need a huge step up from Anthony Queeley. Like, he's going to have to be a reliable receiver if this team's going to have any kind of aerial offense, because they don't have tight ends, and if they did, they wouldn't use them. So, you've got to have a huge a huge year from Queeley, uh, and Courtney Jackson has to turn into some kind of receiver. I don't think we've seen anything out of him. So he's going to be a guy that you really need something out of all of a sudden, and I don't know if he's ready for that step. That's that's why I said the incoming freshmen, Aronde Gadsden, Umari Hatcher, guys that look pretty darn good on film. I mean, I'm just saying, Sherrod Johnson has about, has I would say, butter for hands. <laughs> like, he, he has legit butterfingers. So I, I, I got I to gotta go to with the youth here. I, I like what I saw for these two tall guys on tape and throw them on the outer on the outer side of the field and you know why not see what they can do and on the other side of the ball you've got this defensive back group that is very talented as we saw last year you got guys like Jihad Carter you've got Garrett Williams Rob Hanna a lot of the talent there that is very young um but I think that they might take a step back as a group just because you don't have Ify Melifonwu to throw at the top receiver on any given team, you know? So Garrett Williams is going to have to take on the Justin Rosses of the world, the, the Jakari Robersons. Uh, so I don't know if this team's going to be able to, to, to replicate the kind of success they did in 2020 just because you don't really have that guy that you know is going to handle whoever uh, whenever you need it. We well, do have need... Deuce Chestnut coming in, too. He's very talented, as per Taj Harris. That's also true. But I think you need a couple of ball hawks to really emerge. And I think Carter has that potential. Hannah, I'm, I'm not so sure, because he, he was like free safety center fielder last year. And honestly, the most I remember about Rob Hannah was him getting burned on a couple of run plays in those Liberty and Duke games. Yes, first action for a freshman. Tough situation to step into, but... Still, you, you gotta gotta choose your angles. But if Carter and Hannah step up, then yes, I think the secondary can really improve. And I'm I'm sold on Garrett Williams as a top ten corner in the ACC. Wow. I don't think the national pundits are, but I think he's that good. I don't think if you is. have a great freshman season, you you're that good in the ACC. I don't know. I don't know about really? that. Really? Yeah, because here's the thing. For at least half of that year, because Iffy was the only one of the, of Cisco, Iffy, and Trill to finish the year. Um, but yes. for, for some time, you were throwing Trill Williams and Iffy Malafonwood at number one and two. And we saw Garrett Williams do great things against number three. Uh, and then at some point, he was doing them against number two. But when he moves up to that number one spot, I just don't know if he's going to be able to put up the same kind of numbers. I mean, he led the ACC in passes defended last season, Bones. I like, think he's a very I, talented player. I don't I think don't he's get me got wrong. It. I, I think, think he's, he's very good. But I don't know if he's going to... I think 
that there is potential for him to take some kind of step back. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see. We're, we're going to have to uh, take a short break. We'll be talking five-star review on the other side. Stay with us on the score 1260. Five star review. Five star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five star reviews. Hey, five stars. Five star review time here on Orange Fizz Radio. Ian Unsworth with me, Matt Bonaparte. Uh, it's time for to talk some SU basketball recruiting. Quadir Copeland, the four star guard, is going to make his decision on August 10th. Syracuse was included in his top eight that he released. I think that Syracuse has a decent shot at this kid, Ian. What do you think? I would say so. 24-7 thinks so with the five crystal ball predictions all pointing towards the way of the 3-1-5. And from what we've heard, Kadir Copeland has been sold on Syracuse from day one. It's not a situation like we've seen with other recruits in the class of 2022 um, some big guys from the Northeast, who I'm, I'm not going to mention their names, but they get that Syracuse offer very early on, and then other schools come into the fold, and they start to waver and go elsewhere. No, Copeland has been locked on with the Orange, no pun intended, from day one, and he's exactly the type of player that Jim Beheim wants. 6'6", six, six, you know, has a plenty of room to add some weight on his frame, but he's long, he can handle the ball, and play like a point guard, but also has extremely solid downhill skills to go score. And that's exactly what Jim Beheim wants. So, I think Copeland's a lock. The only other place that 24-7 could possibly have him going is Maryland. I, I just don't think so. Syracuse all the way for me. I don't think he's going to Maryland either. I think he will be a member of the 2022 Syracuse Orange. And currently, if you look at the 2022 basketball recruiting ranking, Syracuse sits at 10th. Uh, I think if they get Copeland, they could hop into the top five. That would be pretty exciting for SU fans. I don't know if it'll end that way, uh, but Syracuse is at a point right now in which they are flashing once again that they have that ability to go out and get these really, really good players. Uh, that 22 class is really, really impressive. you got Kamari Lands, you've got Justin Taylor, and hopefully now Quadir Copeland, uh, if you can get him on August 10th. That's incredibly impressive, and going forward... That just means that you're back on your way to becoming the recruiting powerhouse you were in the early 2010s when Syracuse could kind of get their hands on just about anybody uh, and really make those runs into the Final Four, be one of those teams who's a perennial number one C in the NCAA tournament, winning 30 games a year. Um, Syracuse is on, on its way back, and, and don't be surprised when they're back there in the mid-2020s uh, and they're making waves once again. And Jim Beheim's still on the sidelines because, as far as we know, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. I don't know if he is, but he says he's not. Adam Zagoria says he's not. I mean, at this point, whatever Beheim's doing, it's still working. So I'm not complaining. Absolutely. I, I will pause the breaks on the old 30 win season because the ACC is a completely different beast it's fair. to where we were in the early 2010s. But I think the other thing that plays well for Syracuse, at least is that Jim Beheim, and we've said this a lot in a negative light, right? Jim Beheim is not going after the top five prospects in the nation. He's not, you know, shooting for the stars with these five-star prospects. 
But as the recruiting world gets more and more complicated, I think now is the time when Jim Beheim's strategy over the past five years of finding his guys is going to really, really work. Because now, high school prospects are getting offered boatloads of cash by the G League, the, the Australian League. Different schools are going to come with these NIL deals, and it's going to turn into a bidding war for you know, top five guy after top five guy after top five guy. Kids are going to reclassify. They're going to do all these things so that they can get to the money. And why not? You're 16 years old, 17 years old. You have bucket loads of potential. Go for it. But for a guy like Justin Taylor or a guy like Copeland or maybe a, a less heralded recruit, you're not going to get all those deals. You know, nobody in the NBA is coming to you and saying, hey, we have $750,000 for you to come train with us in California. These guys might feel a little left out. So having that reassurance, that cozy blanket of one of the most legendary coaches in all of college basketball coming to you and saying, you're my guy, that's, that's such a big confidence boost. And that's something that's going to grab them and also their parents right away. And I think that's what Bayheim did with Copeland. I'm not saying that he's bad. By no means are any of these guys bad. They're just not going to be in contention for $500,000 because right now social media runs recruiting. And if you're not one of those top five, top 10 guys that's constantly on ESPN and overtime, you're, you're just not going to get the looks. But for Jim Beheim, it's working. It is really working, staying sort of low in the weeds and finding his guys. And I think what we've learned about Beheim and, and SU's basketball recruiting uh, over the past 10 years is that even when they aren't the biggest offer on the board and guys aren't looking at Syracuse like they're the best team they could possibly play for, Syracuse will go out and find the guys that you're talking about and make them stars. Marek Dolajai was literally nobody before he came to Syracuse. He was quite literally had no chance. Like And, ba and Syracuse took a, a chance on him, and he became a fan favorite and a guy that they needed. They absolutely needed Without Marek Dolajai, they wouldn't have won half the games they did during his tenure. So you have to give Bayheim and the team credit there in that they made what they could with what they had. Uh, and they were still really good at times, and they made a couple of Sweet 16 runs. So uh, there's a lot of... Uh, you have to give a lot of credit there. Uh, but let's look over at one of Syracuse's all-time rivals, and those are the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, Coach K is retiring at the end of the season. You've got John Shire stepping in after him, a guy that has been recruiting for Coach K for a little while now, and a guy that brought in Kyle Filipowski and now Derek Whitehead. Syracuse has an issue, and like they've always had, battling Duke, because John Shire is not stopping anytime soon. They're reining guys in, just bringing them right in, uh, and these Duke's going to be good again. They're going to be great. Well, Filipowski started off as one of those guys that Jim Beheim sort of picked out of the rough, right? That diamond that nobody else really saw. But then AAU basketball is a double-edged sword because guys can pop out of the woodwork like that, and that's what Filipowski did. I mean, who doesn't want a 6'11 center that can run and shoot? And Filipowski had a great year with the Wrens and just shot up recruiting boards. He went from probably... A 50th, 55th, 60th best prospect in the nation when I think we at the Fizz first started talking about him in December and January, and he's he's in the 20s. 
right now. And well, Whitehead, on the other hand, was he was a top 10 nationally ranked recruit throughout this whole cycle. People have known he's legit, but I talk about the G League and their, their, you know, their, their deep, deep pockets. Whitehead turned down 500000 to go play at Duke. That's wild. And nevertheless, both of these guys are from the Northeast. Whitehead's from Newark, and Filipowski's from Massachusetts. That's the only problem I have with Duke, is that they are coming into what once was, what could still be considered as Syracuse's backyard and just picking out these prospects. They get their guys. Yeah, that is the issue that I think a lot of people see, like you do, Ian, is that these are the guys that Syracuse should probably be uh, in the race for, and they were in the race for Filipowski for a while, and it, and it looked like there was a decent chance that he was going to go to Syracuse, but as the Duke visit date got closer and closer, I think we all realized what was going to happen there. And, I mean, just look at the guy. He looks like a Duke player. Um, <laughs> looks like Christian Leitner. It's just the exact same thing. Um so, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of competition, but John Shire is really, really good at what he does in terms of recruiting. Uh, and the Duke name holds a, a lot of weight. Uh, guys love joining that brotherhood down in Durham, and I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. They had a bit of a lull last year. They weren't really all that good. Uh, but they're going to be back on top in no time, and Duke is going to be, once again, a very feared team. But the question I have for you, Ian, is do you see Syracuse getting to a point in which they can really rival that within the next two or three years. I think that they do have that potential within the next 10 years to get back there, but how quickly do you think that happens, if it does? Well, you brought up this point earlier, Bones. It's all going to start with this class of 2022 because Kamari Lands and Justin Taylor are two prospects that are nationally known, and Taylor was another guy that shot up recruiting boards after this AAU circuit and he stayed with the orange he you know didn't go hometown didn't go to Virginia didn't go anywhere else that you know gave him a pretty alluring offer stayed with Syracuse and these are these are guys that had offers from national national schools they could have gone to California could have gone to Texas anywhere in the United States they could have chosen to play their college ball but they go to Syracuse and so Jim Beheim. After a couple years of unheralded guys, yes, Quincy Garrier was a fourth, low four-star recruit out of Canada. So it's not like people are really high on him going into college. And yes, he's elsewhere now, but my point still stands. He he turned into a great player. And if Jim Beheim can turn Kamari Lands and Justin Taylor into great collegiate basketball players, then I think you start to see more and more high-level prospects looking at Syracuse. Because all it takes is one or two good seasons. Auburn is now a recruiting force. They had one good year, and they also have Bruce Pearl, who's handing out bags of cash left and right. LSU is a recruiting power, and Will Wade's cheating his way to success. I mean, all it takes is one or two good years in college basketball, and you are set for life. Nate Oates and Eric Musselman down south with Arkansas and Alabama, respectively. These dudes are now getting five-star after five-star because they had one good season. So if Syracuse can have a year or two where they compete for the ACC, they make another Sweet 16 run, people are going to be looking at the 315 and starting to come north. You're absolutely right. Uh, we'll be wrapping up shop when we come back. Fictional Fizz and Fizz Feedback are waiting for you after the break. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio on the Score 1260.
Closing time here on Orange Fizz Radio. Matt Bonaparte and Ian Unsworth with you. Ian, it is time for one of my favorite games, Fictional Fizz, and then we'll get to your Fizz feedback over on Twitter. My first betting line, these are fictional betting lines that I've made up for Ian, is Passes Defended by Garrett Williams. I've got the line set at 8.5. Last year he had 9. Ooh, that's tough because people could either throw at him a lot more because they think the Syracuse back defensive backfield could be weaker, like we talked about, or they'll stay away from him because he's that number one guy and they want to go attack Amon Greenwood, which is not a bad option if you're a, you're an opposing team. So, hmm, I'm not going to lie. I think teams go with that weaker point and they go after Amon Greenwood, who I am not sold on at all. So I'm going to take was not the... Very good. I'm going to take the under on passes defended for Garrett Williams. I think I'll also take the under just because I have my previous statement about how I think they might take a step back um, because he's going to be against a lot of really good receivers this year, but I hope he proves me wrong. That would be nice. Uh, Yeah, so I'll take the under on 8.5 as well. All right, Syracuse passing touchdowns as a team. I've got the line set at 17.5. Last year they had 15. Hmm. I'll take the over. Okay. I I mean, DeVito is easy. He's going to figure it out, or something something's going to happen, and somebody hopefully with a reliable right arm is going to take the helm of this program. But okay. I also am very sold on the on the freshmen. I like what they have, and at, since they are both tall, I think that they have that red zone threat potential where you could lob a ball up and see what they can do. I have a feeling this is going to be a really run heavy offense. I just yes, think that's true as well. the ball a lot, um, especially if Schrader is the quarterback. I don't think you're going to be seeing like an insane amount of passing. So I'm going to go under. I think they'll have like around the same number, uh, and I just think Sean Tucker is going to be run all game, every game. So yeah, I'll take the under. I think it'll be around 15 or 16, but it'll be close. We'll see. Maybe 17. I'll still get under there. Uh, and the last fictional fizz line for you, just a simple one. How many ACC wins does Syracuse get? I've got the line set at two and a half. (sighs) I'll take the under. Wow. Brutal for Syracuse. You hate to see that if you're SU. I mean, last year they came so close to winning these games and bungled them. (laughs) Right? I mean, was it it Rex Culpepper spiking the ball on... Well, that was brutal. Yeah, that was that the that worst was that ever. was so terrible, and that just sticks in my head when it comes to Syracuse and the ACC. There were other close games too. That Pitt game early on in the year that should have been you know neck and neck, and then Kenny Pickett goes on a late drive after just offensive failure after failure, and Duke as well. I, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of weak teams in the ACC. Duke Duke is going to struggle again. Uh, I mean, Syracuse always plays decently against Wake Forest, but like, I don't. I just don't know if if the Orange have it in them. We like. I think we can get one great week out of them, but they. I just don't know if they can do it back to back. Like they they look really good against Georgia Tech last year, and then they really struggled. So I think we we're gonna see the same thing. All right, I agree. I don't think they're gonna get there either. I was I overreacted when you said that, but I agreed with you. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're going to win two games. All, all theatrics games. over their bones. 
Yes, very much so. Uh, all right. Let's head over to Twitter now to take a look at our Fizz Feedback polls. If you want to take part in these polls, head over to Twitter, usually on Wednesdays or maybe early on Thursdays to uh, to participate and be one of our, our loyal viewers or listeners. All right, the first poll is Kiefer Sykes agreed to a deal with the Indiana Pacers right after hitting the game winner for Bayheim's Army. Who on the team deserves an NBA contract next? We kind of talked about this. Uh, the options were Chris McCullough, Tyrese Rice, and DJ Kennedy. The poll overwhelmingly was Chris McCullough, and, and I think we both agree with that. Absolutely. He was a bucket. He also worked hard on the boards, and I, I think you're right, Bones. He has to add some strength first and foremost before NBA teams really start looking at him. But throughout there, we still have a whole summer league season to go for the NBA, and there are plenty of things that can happen, injuries, for, you know, a couple free agent signings, whatever whatever happens, Chris McCullough is probably one of those guys on the precipice of getting signed. Yes, he's very good. Uh, and, and don't be surprised if he does in the next couple of months. All right. Second poll, the SU football season is right around the corner. Which ACC opponent on the Syracuse schedule is most overrated? The options Florida State, Wake Forest, NC State, or other. Ian, what say you? Who? I'm picking Florida State, purely because I can't stand Florida State. They've got tons of talent. Mike Norvell hasn't figured it out yet, but he's only had one season. But I'm picking Florida State just because I can't stand Florida State and and their Tomahawk chant. I also think it's Florida State, uh, and so do uh, the Fizz listeners. 54% took Florida State. Um, I don't. They don't really have a quarterback right now. They've got Mackenzie Milton uh, or, I can't remember the other guy's name, Jordan Travis. Yes, Jordan Travis. Yeah, Jordan Travis and Mackenzie Milton. Neither of them I have too much faith in. So, and also Florida State's just at a point right now where they're not all that good. So I don't think that uh, there should be too much hype built around the Seminoles. All right, our final poll. Four-star Cordero Copeland makes his commitment decision on August 10th. Is he coming to Syracuse? We both said yes. The Fizzers said yes. Uh, let's hope that does happen. That would be pretty cool, Ian, for you especially, as you've got another year on campus. I don't. Uh, if you got to see that recruiting class, that'd be pretty exciting. Yeah, I would absolutely love it. I thought we might have a couple pessimists in the bunch, but, hey, I mean, I think we all have to be on this train now because as this class continues to build, I think the ceiling gets higher and higher. Absolutely. All right, that does it for Orange Fizz Radio this week. For Ian Unsworth, I'm Matt Bonaparte. If you want more of our coverage, follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz or go to our website, orangefizz.net. Heck, go over to SoundCloud and check out all our stuff over there. We'll see you next time.